0: Hello and welcome to the SBS Cycling Central podcast. We're here for a quick little special edition because of Perry Robet, which we need to talk about because an Australian won. I'm Philip Gomes, and with me today are. Are you a future Uber driver or a future Tesla owner?
1: Oh, I was speaking actually about Tesla to a couple last night. They've placed an order for, they're one of the 315,000 people who placed an order within the first 48 hours of a, a tesla x and then they've got the tesla
2: 3 also on order oh. so that's anthony tan that's mm. anthony
0: tan by the way and Talking that that, that croaky mm. voice Getting is better. rob arnold who is the editor of ride magazine which is an oasis of print journalism in a digital desert
2: with a little bit of online content in between issues, <laughs> we try our best. We oh, that's do what right. we can. RideMedia.com.au. Right. Yeah. We've had an active week, just like you have. We oh are. man, it's God. it's it's
0: it's been epic. Uh, I, look, uh, Parramatta Bay is is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it's just uh, here we are Thursday, and we're still talking about Parramatta Bay, probably with a l- even more intensity as we did Monday morning.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I, I just sort of. Cast our minds back to last week's pod, and I think Rob and Jamie Finch Peniger were giving me a hard time about, they said, oh, you're hard to please. But this was the race I was kind of hanging out for. This was, I don't think, I almost feel we're here not just because Heyman won, but because it was just a classic classic it was it was something which i've been i don't know i think i've been dreaming about a race like this for years and it, it fa- finally came to fruition
0: don't waste it yet let's get this show on the road so yes as you know as you as we just said Today's podcast is about Perry Rubey, and with good reason, because an Australian one, Matthew Heyman, uh, which you all know by now. And what's not to like about that? Uh, We'll dissect the race and the aftermath, because there's a lot. uh, There's a lot that happened in the aftermath. In uh, a quick and dirty edition of our usual fortnightly chin wag, we couldn't resist. So, as you were saying, Anthony, how good was that? It was. I
1: don't know whether I'd say it's the the best race it's certainly the best race I've seen for a long long time I can't remember a race which incorporated so many elements of drama the uh, suspense it's you know it, it just felt I was on the edge of my seat right from the starting compiegne and I I just remember covering my first, Rubey, I think it was 2005, and it just, I don't know, it made me want to go back to Europe, actually. I never thought I'd say that, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it did. And uh, Heyman, it, was, it just, um, like I was saying to you off mic, it just felt like the the way that Heyman approached Rubey was a bit like the way Mick Rogers approached, I think, the Giro and the Tour um, when, when he came back. And uh, there was just something... Otherworldly about the whole atmosphere surrounding it and his win, and uh, I felt he, even he, I felt that even Heyman thought he was in another world, you know, because he said he said, uh, he, said uh, he to Dan Jones in that backstage pass. Uh, I was just faking it the whole time, mm. you know. I didn't know what I was doing, but his instinct did, and and it was intuition, which I believe. Allowed him to keep calm throughout those six hours and win win the the greatest race in his career.
0: Rob, you had an extensive interview with uh, with Matt post race. Mm. How does that uh, match with what Anthony's just talked about? Yeah, I mean,
2: what was. Matthew's always interesting to talk to, and, and what I enjoy about it is that he showed me the courtesy of calling me um, to, to, and said, you know, look, we do this every year. We have a chat before or after Rube. And I hadn't caught up with him because, quite frankly, like I've referenced a few times this week, I didn't even know he was riding. Like, normally you. A couple of years ago I was touting him as a potential favourite and someone who could win the race and and Alex Hines sort of scoffed at me a little bit and we had a bit of fun and I liked it and I found that little segment on the podcast and I put it back up on our SoundCloud because I was just reminded of the things that I'd reiterated of why Matt Heyman should be considered for Roubaix. Some people said, oh, we haven't heard of him before, he hasn't won many races, how can he come out and win Paris-Roubaix? He's been off the bike for six or five or six weeks. You know, trying to allude that there was some kind of odd suspicion to it, but it's just that made me feel a bit sick in the guts, especially because I know Matthew. But um, he's just such a genuine character and he tells a good story and he, he, um, he hasn't got any uh, people, who, naysayers. No one really do- dislikes him in the peloton. He's got a great following because he's just basically a gentleman who goes about his trade and he knows this race intimately. And we saw in the ride that he did, that he just knew it. He knew when to be active, when not to be active. Even when he went off the front and he mocked himself a bit about it with his, with his move for about with about 80K to go, he was saying that he, he wasn't really certain but there was logic behind it. And when, if you watch that little moment, there's a couple of minutes where he's on his own and leading the race and he didn't seem to be really uh, busting a gut he wasn't really uh at that point straining himself and 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 it didn't seem like he was overly exerted so it just would have been nice if someone else was there just to sort of roll through and and give him a bit of time out of the wind
0: that that was the thing that surprised me is that you know you look back on a race uh in hindsight you look at look at how it rolled out and it just looked like he had it was obvious looking back now that he had more in the tank he looked effortless. Everything that he did looked effortless on the day. Mm.
1: Yeah, I can't remember whether it was uh, Heyman talking to Rob or the backstage pass or another interview I read, but Heyman did say that until that front, um, those Lee group of riders, um, you know, Stanard uh, et al. caught him, he he was doing those parve sections quite easily mm. uh, he 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 was just he was just tapping it over you, you, you actually uh, he said I've, they went the, yeah. the, the,
2: the parve was easy and the road was when they went hard yeah up until <laughs> when he was in the break so that was the that served him very well
1: mm, yeah. I, I i just think I, i've i've now <laughs> almost rewatched the whole thing over again it, it's it's just quite it's it's fascinating to replay it and uh, you know, a lot of people said, "Oh, it always looked like he was going to win." I don't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it. That I mean, that's kind of being quite disrespectful to the company <laughs> he he was in. Uh, I, I would never have said that. that that's what made it so exhilarating because no no one knew when those five riders came into the Roubaix Velodrome. Oh, well, actually, there was three or two, and then him and Bolnen and then there was uh, Van Mark and Stannard. Um, and Wassenhagen, and when when those five grouped together, I still had no idea. So I don't think any of them did. I think they all stood a chance. It was just who had the most legs in the end. <laughs> you just saw it was the most tired-looking sprint. <laughs> and uh, from the
2: feedback we've got on social media, I think there are a lot of people yelling at their televisions. You know, we certainly saw the footage of Matthew Heyman. I mean, pff, Matthew Heyman of Matt Keenan and Robbie. Having, you know getting emotional about it and we knew that they were screaming at the telly because we, we could hear them and another dose of fine commentary I have to add but uh, a, a lot of people would have been saying okay you know follow that move or not that move but in the finale and I've referenced it in an interview with Shane Bannon um, I thought he was magnificent in the last five kilometres. And Shane said, let's go 20 kilometres. But really, it was the whole 256 kilometres where he was tactically good. Someone told me this morning, and I love it as a quote, there's the old cliche about the Forest of Arenberg, Oh, you can lose the race here, but you're never going to win it because it's so far from the finish. And, and OK, there, I think that in the time I've been watching for the last 25 years, there's been one attack on Aremberg which did go forward, and, and, and it was Cancellara from 2006 from memory. And that went... was a hundred kilometer successful move but the the cliche is you can't you can't win it there but you can lose it there but the the person i was talking to about it today told me matt hayman rode the whole race not losing and and okay it's hard to it's not a difficult concept to grasp but everyone else was trying to win it and he was just trying to not lose it and and if the, if that makes sense yeah, every yeah, yeah. step of the way yeah. he yeah. he was tactically correct
0: there was and again you know in hindsight looking back it's 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 as if I know he he kind of downplays the tactical like how well he rode the race tactically he's mm. he's downplaying that a bit but at at some point at some level you kind of say well okay the guy's been racing you know 15 17 years He's ri- that that race has been his race that's we've always talked about him as a guy who could win that race for years mm. and it just never happened and in a, in a way he may think that you know he didn't he wasn't you know thinking about it in a, in a in a genuinely tactical way but he's ridden the race so long it for so many years it's it's like this instinctual kind of tactical nows mm. That was, ha- that was happening. As you were saying, Anthony, he just he just sort of knew how to ride each section, and it was effortless in mm. the end.
2: Uh, there just- were some sections of Parve where you could see the anxiety of the other riders around him. Okay, where, which part of the road am I going to take? And, and there was one instance where Stanard, I think, came up the right, or could have been Bryson Hagen, and they were on the grassy verge, which we know that they like to ride on, and, and Mat- Matthew was in the centre, and he was just bouncing along like he does. And he just effortly just sort of seemed to grace the road and find the right path. And he talked to me about it. He's given me real good detail, insight about how to ride Roubaix. And he's explaining that there are these 30-second bursts of, of high wattage that you need to do. And that's to get to the pave, to get over the pave, to, to get onto the next wheel. And the it's a race that conjures so many uh, images I sp- and I can talk about what Matt Heyman's told me over the years for a long time, but I'm going to have to put a whole list of links together for stories that we've posted about it because there's some fascinating reading, even just where he, he, he looks bloodshot in the eyes at the finish and, and he talks about how the dust gets in and it feels like swimming in a pool of chloride for, for hours on end. And just, you know, we were salivating over the prospect of a wet Roubaix and there were puddles that did have an effect, and but it wasn't the the downpour that we expected. Um, and perhaps even without the dust, it it, uh, was a little bit more tame visually or without the mud. It was just a mix of, of, of circumstance that just made it, sort of yeah. not so dramatic aesthetically, but it was a fantastic addition.
1: Actually, I, I would almost counter that role and say the the lack of the dust gave you, the viewer anyway, clarity. You could see everything that was go- going on. Um, there was, uh, you know, the whatever the, the dust from the... Because of the the rain throughout the week, um, yeah, the, the dust from the, the, the team cars, the motorbikes, that wasn't an issue. I mean, this was the kind of the connoisseur's edition of Roubaix, you, you just um, you couldn't have said that there, there was nothing about perhaps Matt Heyman's win where you could argue, well, he was lucky in any way because Heyman himself said Roubaix is probably one of the, the few races, perhaps the only race on the calendar where you can get in the early break and you can ha- you can stand a real chance of being there in, in the finale. Yeah, of course, there are races where sometimes someone gets lucky, but this is an instance where yeah, you're you're putting yourself in that position. It's a premeditated move, and he he's often gone for
0: that. Um, early but he, d- break. he didn't
2: try for it. He he mm. found himself in that situation, and often mm. you hear that.
0: But but it, it well yeah, I mean, but look at the front that those five guys, all of oh, them at the finish. At yeah. the finish, mm-hmm. those guys are all classics riders. Mm. They can all ride the cobbles. So it's no surprise to see them sort of like as the race evolves that they, they just end up at the front of the race.
2: Mm, the cream riders, the
0: cr- Yeah. Mm. They know what they're doing on, on that surface.
1: Yeah. So it's it's incorrect. You know, I've heard these suggestions. Well, where was, what happens if, it's always hmm. what happens if Sagan and Cancellara were there, but they were there. They missed the move. Yeah. Uh, where it's through circumstance I know there was crashes st- but still where they were positioned sort of disallowed them to 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 be in that front group
0: I want to get back to that just for a second do you think that Sagan spent too much time hanging around Cancellara in in uh, that eventually yeah, you know gets caught up in that crash
2: yeah but then if he hadn't and that had gone to script as, as it's, it's, it's a <laughs> random it's a lottery with a script it's kind of it's Contradiction, hmm. but there, there's so many elements that uh, that you need to consider. You'd, normally, you would rely on Cancellara to be there, and he just was unfortunate hmm. a couple of times, even after the race.
1: Oh, I felt <laughs> though. Oh, I'm sort sure of be with you there, Phil. You know, I felt they were marking each other. Hmm. When you do that, well, cancellara's mid-pack, okay, I'll go mid-pack. Whereas why do these other guys just all happen to... They were considering
2: it. And like Matthew said, I, I, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was making decisions, but I wasn't thinking. I was just on autopilot and I didn't care. He really didn't care this time. Just because he'd been injured, he hadn't been through that momentum of the classics that brings the others there where they're just desperate uh, and I talked to you a little bit about Heinrich Hausler, who I spoke to again uh, last night, and he was fascinating to talk to about it because uh, he ended up sixth, which we'd normally be just absolutely fist pumping about and saying how unreal for an Australian to, to get that result. But when, when he's five places behind the winner, who's also an Australian, it's different. Yeah, Heyman was just relaxed about it, and, 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 and that's, you could see it. The other guys were really paranoid about what line they took, which wheel they had to follow, what the other, everyone else was. Trying to win it, and Matt was trying not to lose it.
0: But if the guy who finished second had won,
2: it'd be a completely we, different commentary. Kind of <laughs> we, we probably wouldn't even be here. Right?
0: Till, yeah. We'd, we'd be, we'd be oh, talking yeah. about uh, how brilliant he is, what an effortless race he rode, mm. uh, how he another masterclass from really the guy of his generation uh, mm. on the cobbles.
2: And, and a comeback from a you know a brain, in, I mean a, a broken skull and all sorts of things. It's a phenomenal story, Tom Boone. in second place. I'm, I'm going to give him a round of applause, you know, for the rest until the next edition of Roubaix. What he did as a marked man was amazing.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say he he was a little unlucky because, again, if you've watched that final few laps in the Roubaix velodrome, he was boxed in by Van Mark. He couldn't get out when but he needed to. But that's his
2: mistake, to, isn't it? Yeah. Odd. He's the one that said the person who comes off the last turn in front on Roubaix will win it. Mm. Uh, so he could have... Matt Heyman probably knew that as well. And that's how mm. we, we saw him go to the front. Normally you don't want to lead out. Mm. But Matthew Heyman made a point of going up the banking, for, getting onto the front for the last turn, and he managed it well. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's remarkable. On, well, just well, on the sprint, you know, we heard Robbie and Matt Keenan talking about how it's very different sprint. It's not like... And, and we all understand that. There's actually... One of the guys from FDJ Instagrammed a a, a footage of his leg and he was sitting in the shower afterwards and his leg was just talking like his muscles were just spasming. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but I'll try and find it and I'll pop it up on on. On my Insta. It's fascinating the effect that this race has on the riders. And it's easy to say, come on, guys, now sprint or or follow that wheel or whatever. But talking with Hino last night, and he was just saying, I was so dead. I was so dead in the last five kilometres. You know, everyone thinks once the Pave is gone, then they have a reprieve and they get the chance to collect themselves and prepare for what's to come on the velodrome. But Heinrich said when he had to follow wheels with 5K to go, and he said, but my legs are already cramping. How am I going to respond? Oh, I've got to, I've got to. So he And the way he describes the the, the agony that he's pushing his legs into is fascinating.
0: Mm. And and he looked it. He looked it yeah, because he yeah. just kind of tailed off. He could see that the power wasn't there mm. to respond in, in, in a serious way. All you could do was just hang in and hope that mm. something changed. Mm. And
1: I think that's, you know, with respect to Halsler, that's the difference between you look at his build and the build of the guy, the, the those first five guys, he's not quite built for Roubaix compared to the, these other guys. And, the bricklayers. And, yeah, And, yeah. and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's why he's he's better suited to a race like Flanders. You, you can just see those first five guys, it's almost like they were... I mean, you know, if you just lop off their heads, you know their their physiques were so
2: similar uh, that that yeah. they are built for the parve. Mm. And and Heinrich was sick, in uh, again Ravelgum, and he was lamenting, like he'd done a lot of things to prepare for this stanza of racing, and he really wanted to be ready, and he he was uh, so disappointed. He said, "You get so primed and so fit that you you're just so susceptible to illness." He got a little bit of a cold. And and he still is he was going to forfeit Flanders, but he thought, but I've done my whole last five months for this. I'll I'll raise it with a cold. Mm. He got to Roubaix underdone, different things. And just a quick shout out to Heinrich, Heinrich Junior, 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 because the, he's got twins, and they it was their first birthday on Sunday when their dad came sixth, uh, and it's Heinrich. Is one of the twins, the firstborn, uh, that gets the father's name, just like Haino he did from his dad and dad before. And then Samuel's the secondborn. So a little uh, happy birthday to those two. And they missed their dad. They, they were in, in Germany on the day that dad was racing to sixth in Paris-Roubaix.
0: We potentially could have had three Australians in the top ten. Mm. I said last week when we were talking we about Turbo, mm. and I said, gee, what's happened with him?
2: <laughs> he was fantastic.
0: And he was a flat away from top ten.
1: Well, he got two punctures.
0: How good did he look? In fact, for a long time in that race, I thought that Heyman was riding to set up Durbo. Mm. It looked like he was just basically covering moves in in hopes that Durbo would reconnect. But in the end, I mean, Durbo, obviously we know what happened, but Jesus, he looked good. Mm. Yeah,
1: I mean, you do... I guess that guy in the early break often just tails back for their leader, as um, who, who, who di- who Popovich did it for Cancellara, although yep. way too late. Durbridge, uh, yeah, I also said he can, he can be a great classics writer. I think he should really really concentrate on the classics because i think he can be not just a great classics right i think him he, he can be a classics winner
0: yeah i'm mm. I'm convinced now after those comments from last week and then watching what played out on sunday um i've had a rethink and come on durbo we know you can do it mm. right you've got you've got at least one of these in you mm. so but
2: he, he's had the hallmarks of michael rogers throughout his career when he won his junior world time trial championship in in russia all those years ago you could see he had so many characteristics of michael rogers and and i spoke with dean rogers michael's older brother and uh he was saying how the hayman which is a trio of brothers took up cycling at the same time that the rogers brothers which is another trio took up cycling and and they were all all six of them would be out riding around canberra and matthew and, and mick are the same age uh the, the Canberra cycling community is, is a very tight-knit group. Um, and it's a sad anniversary today, the 12th year since uh, Mark Carter, who used to be president of the Canberra Cycling Club, he, he passed away uh, on the 14th of April. And Matthew talks about that still and, and all of his upbringing in the Canberra community. And I know that there's a huge cheers going out for what he's done and, and how he's conducted himself throughout his career. And everyone, there's a sense of relief in the Australian cycling community, that mm-hmm. this guy's finally got something like this? Yeah. I think uh, I've gone from a thousand topics in uh, that little sequence. <laughs> excuse I'll, me. I'll,
1: yeah, I'll try and paraphrase all of my thoughts, uh, but there's a lot going on in yeah, my I'll mind. Yeah, I'll try and say something
2: which is sort of... I was going on to say similar, something about the Canberra Cup because yeah. clearly,
0: they, you know, Canberra's winning the Canberra Cup now. Or yeah. Heyman's winning the Canberra Cup.
2: What is the Canberra Cup?
0: It's oh, the Canberra the Canberra riders who race at, uh, at pro level. They're always sort of covering each other oh. in this sort of like mythical sort of Canberra championship, you know, who's okay. the best uh, the best rider in the world tour from Canberra.
2: Yeah, So yeah. oh, th- We were talking about Luke Durbridge. Yes, we and were. Somehow I went completely yeah. around oh, yeah, to that's talking right. about anyway, go, Mark Carter. Uh, good, good, uh, go Canberra go parochialism aside, I would say that... Luke's from WA. <laughs> um, He's not um, even close to Canberra. Canberra. But he that's has right. a lot of the characteristics of Michael, which was my yeah.
1: well, I think, though, <laughs> that... It's it's so much bigger than just Canberra or w- whatever, you know, because you know, when I put that poll out, what's the favorite cycling moment, it it he, he was on par Heyman's victory was on par according to our readers with Evans toward the front. I mean, yeah. that says a lot. Hmm. I, I don't know that I mean I don't really have anything else to add, but I I pretty much it, it pretty and, much and, and says it. it. And it's, it's a it's,
2: difficult comparison to make, it's yeah. sort mm. of like yeah, I don't know. But it's a one-day race and a, and, yeah. a, and a grand tour, is it? But the I guess the significance in people's
1: minds of what it perhaps... It's not what it means to the Australian communities or the cycling world. It's what it means to them. Mm. And so that's a reflection on just a, a guy. He, he He really is the underdog. It's not... I mean, Cadell Evans winning the Tour de France. You can keep, but he was, he'd, been, he'd been knocking on the door for like five or six that, years. That's
2: the key. There's, there was that consistency that made Cadell sort of compelling, mm. and people liked to follow him because of that. Whereas Matthew, if you look at 2007, Cadell was runner up in Tour de France. He was mm. runner up the next year in Tour de France by 56 seconds, and then worked his way onto a new team, became you know properly protected, and won the race. Uh, Matt Heyman was last in Paris Roubaix in 2008. And that was his sixth or seventh attempt. And he's been riding it every year since 2002. Two, yeah. And, um, well, he skipped a couple of editions, But he loves that race. And it doesn't matter. He he was only last in 2008 because he was stubborn enough to get to the velodrome. But it, as most people would have pulled the pin. But he respected the race too much. Every one that he started, he finished. Hmm. And uh, I think it's... Yeah, it's a great story. That's why people really love it.
0: Yeah, and 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 here we are on Thursday. As I said earlier, we're still talking about Perry Rube so and we won't
2: have enough time to discuss, discuss all the things that we right. want to talk about. I talked with Zach Dempster, another guy who. Well, another he Australian he had a great result. Twenty fourth. I know. I thought he was twenty first, but anyway, he told me twenty fourth, and the, <laughs> it, it, there's an interview on my site. But the funny, I'll tell you the punchline. We'd gone through ten minutes of discussion about Rubay and his. He had a. Uh, he broke a wheel before the first sector of Parve in a crash and uh, chased back on and he was going to do Grippetto and then he thought, no, I'm feeling okay, I'll, I'll just push reset at the feed zone and he kept going, kept going. Get, got to the velodrome, sat there, reflected on it with his year, and was really pleased because it's the end of a big block of racing, he'd been away from home for five weeks, he was going to go home to Girona the next day. So he was really excited. And it was only when Luke Durbridge came over to him at the end and said, oh, you know, well done, you, you got here, congratulations on, you know, seeing it through even though you crashed. And um, and Durbo said, oh, Heyman won. Zach, Zach told me, I just assumed it was someone like Boonen as usual. <laughs> so he'd been there half an hour after the race before he found out who the winner was and then suddenly a new, you know, out of energy because yeah. he realises that it, one of the good guys has won.
0: And hope for a rider like him. Exactly. That's mm. the thing. I mean, this is, what, this is what this opened up, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like there are riders out there who are looking at him and just going, you know, I can still have a go.
1: Can you imagine the fight next year, <laughs> Phil, to get, in, <laughs> to, get in, to get in the early break? Yeah. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be, I mean, going to
2: be a, a suspicious absence of people racing in the lead up to Roubaix because they're all going to be on the home trainer now. This is another message from Hayman exactly. Wynn. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Is that he spent five weeks on the home trainer and he said there were days when he could have gone and tested his arm to see how the brake was healing mm. and how he might cope. And he thought, no, 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 I'm, I'm into this WIFT thing, this virtual racing online where you can you know, mm. plug in a, an, in a program and, and follow different it's, people. It's
0: excellent, by the way. I've had a play.
2: And, oh, and okay. so mm. sp- uh, studio, uh, what do you call them, training studios around the country are going to be filled with mm. people being told the same message. You can go nowhere
0: and to win go pa- somewhere and win Paris-Roubaix. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How, yeah. how does
1: the work? Feel like I mean, oh, it's yeah. virtual.
0: You've got the it's Zwift Island and you've got roads and virtual riders. You're there represented as a as a as an avatar as a as a cyclist.
2: We've got a ride media avatar. Do you? We do.
0: Do you guys doing group rides?
2: Uh, no, I don't want to talk about that.
0: Okay, and, and you can actually organize group rides. There's a, there's an, there's an Arvo ride uh, for Aussies pretty much every day of the week.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. so you just get your TV connected to the internet.
0: TV or laptop. Yeah, yep. a lot of people just have their laptops up and they're riding, and it puts up your power stats and everything else. You got you should have uh, something like a Wahoo Kicker trainer, which has got uh, which gives you feedback when it's connected to the to the Zwift program.
2: And when it's going uphill, right? right? yeah,
0: you can actually feel the resistance and... happening.
1: Okay, so you need a it's, specific home trainer that you it's, can't it's, use it. Tax, you know, yeah, turbo yeah, you trainer can, you can, something. yeah,
0: yeah. I've just got mine, just set up with a with a, just a basic, basic fluid trainer, and, and, and you uh, get the resistance. No, on I don't the hill get though. the resistance. No, but you know, you still. So you beat everyone else. No, not really, man. I can't <laughs> punch my way out of a paper bag. Come on. Um No, I'm
2: curious how, how that works. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: but it's better if you get if you get the full package. It's it's expensive, mm-hmm. but if you mm-hmm. care, and it's it's uh, particularly if you live in Sydney where you don't maybe. Don't want to ride uh, midweek when the traffic mm. is intense, and maybe you prefer to ride in the weekends. It's a good way to get, say, two or three good, solid one-hour workouts out. Mm. Specific, mm. do some specified training, and then go out and do some long miles with the boys on Saturday and Sunday. So, mm. you know, it, it it it's it's excellent. It's actually very good, and I I endorse it. I think it's a fantastic. If program, you
2: break so. your arm on the twenty-seventh of February and want to win Roubaix on the tenth of April, yep, there's your answer. This this is the That's way, way to go. That's how you can do it. Yeah. It's proven. That's right. And and the fun thing was. You, you imagine the home trainer session, and you imagine preparing for a six-hour race on cobbles, and I, and you think, well, how can you possibly spend enough time on the home trainer to get that workout? But Matthew said, no, I did an hour and a half in the morning and an hour hour and a half in the evening.
0: Well, we, myself and, Ma- and Anthony it's three we're hours ta- of work every yeah, day. Yeah, that's, well, that's right. pretty good. We were of talking work. about this before we before we started. Uh, we pressed the record button, and uh, we were saying that you know Heyman, Heyman like many athletes, uh, of his. Age. This is veteran. Um, how much training does he really need to do, though? You know, it's, it's sort of like there. There is. He's always going to be at the peak of fitness. Mm. We know from research that as you get older, endurance is is less of a problem uh, for mature riders, mm. mature athletes, mm. and it's speed and power that needs to be maintained. So something like an indoor training program will allow you to do that, especially since you're going to see your speed and power. Numbers on a program like that, anyway. Mm. So in a way, it kind of it kind of all sort of comes together, and it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Where you know he knows that race intimately; mm. he knows what it feels like to ride that distance in on that terrain. Mm. So really, it's just kind of like a maintenance kind of thing. He doesn't really have to race, does he?
1: No, no. I mean, again, yeah. A conversation I had with Phil was about um, pseudo-Grady when his team was suspended. I think when he was riding for COVID. he he was telling me he was. He was just doing uh, an hour and a half, two-hour sessions on the motorbike and people go, well, how, how can that prepare you for a Grand Tour? Yeah, they, these guys have just simply got it. They're hardwired to Not race. Not riding a motorbike, riding no, behind the motorbike. Being paced yeah. by a motorbike. <laughs> Did I say?
2: Oh, you said on the motorbike, on but motorbike. I don't mean to be a pedant.
1: Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's – I guess it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? How can three hours on a home train every day, but if you try to do that – just even one day or try to do it three days in a row, you'd realize it's much harder than doing, say, three five-hour rides on the road. It's intense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even...
1: That's, why underestim- everyone, that's
0: actually why everyone hates riding the trainer.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? No one
0: likes because it. Because it's so it's monotonous and It's also in, it can be intense.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and Heyman said he'd much rather be the guy who goes out in the rain than ride the home trainer. He's mm-hmm. not a fan of the home trainer. But he sees the value of it when he's got no sol- no alternative, when you've got a broken or fractured ar- uh, bone in your arm. So, yeah. I don't know. I think there's so much that we can talk about, really. <laughs>
0: but I do want to talk about one thing, mm. one other thing, uh, in addition to Matthew and, and what happened. Mm. Breaking today, obviously, or was, there, there was crashes. So, can you give us an update, first of all, on... Um, we just posted
2: a thing. It was a year ago today that the UCI approved disc brake use for the World Tour Peloton, and the uptake would begin in August. It wasn't until the 14th of August that uh, that Bernie Isol of Sky was the first person from a World Tour team to debut disc brakes, and that was in the Enico Tour from memory. Anyway, we fast forward to the 14th of April, 2016, and it seems the rumour is that the UCI is going to suspend or or come bring the trial to a halt for a little while because of Francisco Ventoso had a crash. He insists that his leg was sliced up because of a disc break. Uh, He would know better than anyone else on account of it was his leg and he knows where it was, Mm -hmm. what happened to it. Um, he said it was a violent injury, and then he he it, it, his open letter is fantastically written. Mm-hmm. it's very balanced. He gives a lot of. Um, he he he's not a a luddite in terms mm. of technology. He's not he's not shunning disc brakes because it's poor technology. He just says that they're dangerous. He called them something knives machetes the uh, yep. the knives. <laughs> they were slicing him. Yeah, you know he was he was genuinely he, fearful. He, of he,
0: it. he 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 said. It's worth for, for guys like us who are going to ride, say, grand fondos, sportives, whatever, he goes, go for your life, no yeah, problem. Absolutely, he absolutely. says the technology is fantastic and definitely will help riders like me. And you're you not out surrounded there. by 198 That's
2: guys who are ma- maniacally point. trying to get ahead of you, 50
0: to 60 kilometers yeah. an hour. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was, I've been in favor of this works because, you know, I, I kind of like new technologies, etc. And mm. uh, to be quite honest, I kind of rubbished a lot of the naysayers. I think I'll leave this one to the riders to make the choice. And they know better. Uh, They know what goes on in the peloton. And if they feel that this is an issue, I think then the UCI has to listen to what they have to say.
1: Yeah, I I felt the most compelling point about Ventolso's letter was that I've never spoken to one single rider who said that he doesn't have enough stopping power from just Mm -hmm. a normal break. Uh, So I think that pretty much... Says it, and then yeah, his evocative use of words with you know saying spitting machetes. You can just imagine. <laughs> I mean, you we saw the pile ups in Roubaix, and and, and then th- those are s- small groups. Then you know by the by the time you get to halfway through the Parve Sectors, you know it's the pelotons decimated. But it, just imagine like a a mass pile up and just how violent. That could be the the consequences of that, and then I, I thought, well, this this guy's got a really good point, and yeah, he balanced it with his he's saying that I don't I'm I'm not a technological luddite. I, mm. uh, I'm a, you know I don't mind the electronic shifting, whatever. Mm. It's it's just this particular thing.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. I yeah. mean, we talk the, when we're talking of crashes, we have to most of the people would have searched for mitch docker because yeah i was just going to throw it to you about there that was the so, roadside yeah. footage of someone that someone had captured of his accident and it's rapid 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 slam of the face onto, onto oh, cobble. The, to cobble yeah. like and he smashed six teeth he's broken his jaw he's broken his nose he's in a, a pretty bad state but i spoke with his brother and we did post a thing yesterday online just to try and uh, alert people that he's okay they sent him home in an 11 hour, or 10 hour ambulance ride from Paris to Girona because he can't fly because of his injuries. Um, but he's, he popped a few messages up on Facebook yesterday to say, here I am, I'm okay. You know, like, uh, He did bounce back up. It, it, when you watch that footage, you see that coming together of what happens in a crash. It's not that people can, can avoid it or whatever. just It happens right in front of you, you're down. And I guess Ventoso's point is, you just don't know, you've already got enough hazards in your life as a pro bike rider. But to add another couple of spinning machetes into the picture, he's allowed to talk about it because it's affected him.
0: That, that, that crash, that crash, I mean, a, that, a lot came out of that crash. One that was the moto with Ilya Viviani. Really, yeah. Right, so that crash, which, which Mitch was, was involved in. Mm. And then everybody sort of piles up, and then you've got this moto coming at speed as well. Mm. So it's like they were going full gas, mm. and then all of a sudden everything just stopped. Mm. And guys are everywhere, yeah. and then Emoto almost takes out Viviani in a pretty serious way. So I mean, that 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 crash was a pretty pivotal sort of moment in the race as well. It was, yeah. it
2: was, and it was. Yeah, caught by a spectator. I mean, we didn't see that any official footage, not a chopper shot or anything. But I mean, then it brings us to whole. There's a whole other round of discussion that comes out of that. Like last week, we were clapping our hands. It's going to be wet. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be epic. And and I think that's that's not to say that we want to see people crashing. No, we want to see people how they manage their bike on slippery cobbles. We want to see people going through mud. We want to see the images where they're splattered and it looks amazing. And then afterwards, there was a couple of people on Twitter talking about, oh, you want riders. Rights, riders' rights, riders' rights. Oh, look, it's going to be raining. Great carnage. Yeah. No, yeah. we didn't want carnage. That's yeah. not the point. Yeah. If you want uh, a, the safest possible environment for a bike race, it's called a pursuit or a, a, tri- a time trial on the track. You don't have brakes. You don't have gears to worry about. You don't have disc brakes to worry about. Nothing's going to slice you open. There are ways of competing in, as a cyclist without full-on hazards. Yeah. But. There's other aspects of the sport which sent centered that way.
0: But I don't think anyone uh, took any pleasure out of any of the crashes we saw at Ruben. No. That's the thing. No um, one. You know, we had them, and we were like, oh, Jesus. You know, it's like Cancellara comes down. Uh, there's a guy we haven't talked about yet, but we're going to leave it for another day. But, you know, we, we see the crashes and the reactions in the crashes – weren't like, oh, this is epic or whatever. It's like, oh, Jesus, you know, he's, mm. he's come down, it's affect a race, blah, 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 you know, so.
2: Like the Skittles from Sky, you know, they were absolutely dominant. They had four or five guys there yeah. and then Luke Rowe came down and yeah. they all just went over yeah. one another. Yeah. And they're, they're like a rem- shame rem- Reminiscent of
0: BMC. And, uh, really? At, at, at Flanders. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They,
2: yeah. Stay up front, be safe, stay up front, <laughs> be safe. And then all of them are up front, absolutely in control. Stanard was, at that point... Dead set favorite for the title.
1: Yep. Mm.
2: And then that's it.
1: St- I thought st- Cancellara's um, victory lap around the Roubaix then, Velodrome, it basically uh, summed uh, up why uh, crashes are part and parcel. He, he was almost like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I right. mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> his reaction, it didn't seem to bother him, it didn't yeah, bother anyone else. It everybody it was. was just happy he to see him. He could have broken
1: his collarbone, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> his crash, and he was like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's like after that, it's like, Oh, Christ, you know, here I am sliding down the, down the wall of the velodrome.
2: Yeah, I mean, no one liked to see that. No, it? You no. did have have a bit of a giggle. Uh,
0: no, yeah. I, actually, I didn't. Uh, for me, I was just like, oh, poor bastard. You know, his, I found a cring- you know? cringe. I
1: cringed.
2: Yeah, yeah, I felt
0: sorry for him. Only yeah. because yeah.
2: it was sort of in the limelight and he was uh, doing it to
0: get attention but he's also he's also he got that and he's also and he's also mr classy you know so you yeah, just you kind know, of think oh no you know yeah, everything was, he does is perfect and then here there. he is he just yeah. is like is, is like it's like what would have happened to me on the track you know yeah, just yeah, yeah. boom down
2: He's the Federer of cycling, and all all of a sudden, all of that uh, that panache just went. Oh,
0: yeah! Imagine if he actually
1: was. Imagine if he was in the front group, and there was six. Would he have taken them all? Them all out, and uh, allowed Heyman to probably do a Bradbury, and that's why he didn't belong in the front group. (laughs)
0: That's right. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think um, we better wind it up. Or we'll yeah, talk yeah, we'll wind, we'll wind it up because we can, we can keep talking about it. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about Roubaix in the uh, in the next in the next couple of weeks. Um, but, but can I say so one last, one last okay, thing? One last thing really from you, important. and then I'll come it's back. It's really
2: yeah. important. This was I mocked uh, or said sort of silly things about the beginning to end coverage last year last week.
0: Ah, yes, of Paris yeah. Roubaix. But mm. we had
2: beginning to end coverage and. Big round of applause to SBS and all of the broadcasts who got behind this. It was a great initiative. We got to see bike racing in pure sense of the form. We got to see it from beginning to end. Everyone felt involved. Everyone felt, even though it finished at one or something in the morning. I don't know. I didn't check the time. I was too busy jumping up and down. One thirty. Um, it was um, it was a great experience, and I, I'm I'm thrilled that uh, that the broadcast had happened like it did.
0: Yeah. Mm. Look, I think I think that helped uh, that helped to hold the audience. Because we were able to, to, to really get involved in a narrative of the, race, of the race right from the beginning. And this is a race, because of its complexities, it needs it's a story that needs to be told from beginning mm. to end. Mm. So I think if you're going to broadcast a race live from start to finish, this is the one that you do.
2: And they picked it like a nose. Yeah.
0: yeah. So there are other races out there. Maybe Amstel Gold uh, on the weekend, which we are showing live, by the way. Um, that one, okay. Yeah, you come in short the last two hours. Mm. It's okay. Mm. Yeah. Different race. But anyway, we need to go. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you a quick uh, uh, note on what we do have coming up, which does include Amstel Gold. So we end a conversation with, uh, we've got on Sunday, all of this is happening on Sunday and then on Wednesday mid-next mid next week. Sunday, 17th of April, from 4 p.m., we've got uh, Paris-Roubaix highlights. So we're going to do a replay one hour of, um, of what happened on the weekend. And uh, Tomo has insisted that uh, there are a few special things that are going to happen in that. Then following that, we're going to have the InCycle Show, which is a great magazine of cycling for men's road professional cycling and women's road professional cycling. Um, And then on Sunday evening from 10.30 p.m., it's the Amstel Gold Race Live, which is a great race. And we have an interest in that because um, Michael Matthews finished third last year, and he's a chance to win. And then after Amstel Gold, we go to Wednesday, 20th of April, and then we are live with Flesh Wallon from 11 p.m. until 1, the final or sort of midweek classic before we get to Liège, and we will have Liège as well. And that's pretty well it from us, and we'll talk to you later.